Well, good morning. Some of you don't sound like you're awake yet. Good morning. That's a little better, a little bit, not much, but a little bit. Good to see you this morning, and a special welcome to those who may be worshiping with us for the first time here this morning. We're glad you've decided to join us. Uh, We are continuing our series in the book of John. It's been exciting. Uh, We still got several weeks to go before we're through, uh, but we're uh, in the tail stretch, the the end of of the book, so to speak, or at least the last few hours before Jesus, uh, his crucifixion and his resurrection. And as I was preparing for this morning's message, my um, mind went back to when I was a child and uh, used to go to Mass And one of the things that we used to do all the time was recite the Apostles' Creed. Anybody here ever do that? And it's your, you know, several hands, okay. Um, And uh, it's a great synopsis of the Christian faith. And it was one of the ways that I actually learned what I ought to believe, what Scripture teaches. But there were some things in it I didn't fully understand. And the, the one thing that troubled me the most was a line in there. It says, I believe in the Holy Ghost. Okay, probably sense where I'm going with this, but you know, I never understood how God could be a ghost. I mean, remember the haunting, poltergeist, the Amityville horror. Okay, it was a bit unnerving. Um, you know, except for Casper, ghosts were scary. <laughs> Right? You know? And, and so here I am, a young man, you know, a boy, you know, and I'm hearing about the Holy Ghost, and I didn't know what to make of that. Um, and maybe that's why modern versions um, have uh, substituted the word spirit for ghost. Only slightly better. <laughs> you know? Still dealing with spirits here. Um, I, I could wrap my mind around the Father and the Son, um, but the Holy Ghost... Uh, was was a was a mystery to me. The sad truth is, he is a mystery to many Christians, many people who are in the the church. We talk about him, but we don't know a whole heck of a lot about him. And uh, maybe we're afraid to talk about him for whatever reason. Um, you know, I I I think that without a doubt, he is the most understood member of the Trinity. And some Christians tend to ignore him, and other Christians tend to put too much emphasis on the Holy Spirit. And within the church, I think more crazy stuff gets attributed to the Holy Spirit than to the devil. I mean, if you follow any of the things that sometimes happens within a local congregation or watching things on TV, you know what I mean. So it is imperative then that we understand who the Holy Spirit is if we are to love him and if we are to serve him and understand his role in our salvation and in our sanctification, which is just a big word that that talks about how we become more and more like God. Christ. So this morning, we're going to be picking up in John chapter 14, verse 15, and amazingly, we're still in the upper room, and Jesus is still teaching his disciples. No doubt, they were filled with anxiety after everything that Jesus had told them. 
I mean, realize that they just discovered that one of them is going to betray him. Another is going to deny him. And these are his closest disciples. And then add to that, Jesus says, hey, I'm going away. And where I am going, you cannot follow. So the disciples were clearly filled with anxiety. But Jesus assures them that he will not leave them as orphans. In fact, he says that he will come to them and they will be given another helper who will be with them forever. That's an interesting promise. And here is where I want to be really clear. That promise was not just for the disciples. It was for us as well. Now, if that was the only place you saw that you might not come away with that conclusion, but it becomes very clear as you read the New Testament that this promise, especially in the book of Acts, which I'll get to, um, is for us, this other helper. So Jesus, know this, Jesus has not left you as an orphan. He has given you another helper who will be with you forever. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our time together this morning. Thank you for your word, for the ministry of Christ, and for your Holy Spirit, who we will be learning about this morning. And Holy Spirit, we pray that you would be our teacher and our guide here, that you would fulfill one of the ministries that the Lord Jesus says that you have, that you might teach us, that you might guide us in the truth of God's word. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So the helper that Jesus refers to here in our text this morning is the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit, whichever you prefer. Now there are three key passages in the New Testament that deal with the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. There are several places in Scripture you can go where you will learn more about the Holy Spirit, but I suggest to you that the passage that we're in this morning focuses primarily on the identity of the Holy Spirit. And then in a couple chapters from here, in chapter 16, um, we see another section of Scripture that deals with the ministry of the Holy Spirit or the work of the Holy Spirit. And then in Romans 8, we read about the power of the Holy Spirit. So this morning, we're going to talk about the identity of the Holy Spirit. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn over to John chapter 14. If you don't, I've got it up here on screen so you can follow along. I'll be reading out of the English Standard Version. Jesus picks up in verse 15 and he says to his disciples, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. 
Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Now, verse 15 needs to be understood in its context here in order for us to understand what follows. Uh, Jesus is telling his disciples and us that if we love him, we will keep his commandments. Some of you may be asking, which ones? Answer, all of them. All of them. You know, Jesus doesn't say, you know, here are a bunch of commandments. Which ones would you like to obey? (laughs) He doesn't approach us that way. Jesus is describing the Christian life as a life of obedience. Obedience ought to characterize those who follow Christ. It doesn't matter what the commandment is. We're to obey. And Jesus makes it very clear that if we love him, we will keep his commandments. So that should also tell us that if we don't keep his commandments, then we're really demonstrating that we don't love Christ. No matter what we say, no matter how many songs we sing, no matter how many church services you attend, it doesn't matter. Words words are cheap. It's actions that count. And Jesus says that, you know, you will know them by their fruits. You will, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And so the disciples of Jesus, which would include us, demonstrate their love for him by their obedience to him. But put another way, our love for Jesus is our motive for obeying Jesus. See, that, when, when you phrase it that way, it, it changes everything because there are a lot of motives for obeying Jesus. Some people are scared to death they're going to end up in hell, and so they're, they're working really hard to try to appease Jesus to make sure that the ledger works out in their favor, right? But our motive for obeying him ought to be love. It ought not be fear. We're, we're not obeying, if we're, if we're not obeying Christ's commands out of love, then ultimately we're obeying him out of another motive, which is ultimately self-centered. And I've heard it said once that obedience without love is nothing more than the pursuit of self-righteousness. If we truly love Jesus, we will obey him. Now, I want you to notice the conjunction and in the text. If you love me, you will keep my commandments and... I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Now, that little word, and, indicates that the Father will only give the helper to those who love Jesus. You see that? And the the term helper here is the first description of the Spirit in our text this morning. So let's explore that a little bit. The word helper comes from the Greek word parakletos or parakletos. Uh, A person, uh, this is a person who acts as a representative or a spokesman for someone else. Someone who is called alongside to help, especially in a court of law. 
And what's interesting is that John is the only New Testament writer who uses this word. And he uses it five times, twice here in chapter 14, once in chapter 15 and in chapter 16, and then again he uses it in 1 John, in his, in his first epistle in chapter 1. And the word can be translated helper or advocate. And that, that brings the courtroom to mind, doesn't it? An advocate, an intercessor. Some of your translations might say counselor or comforter. So this word helps us not only understand who the Holy Spirit is, but what his ministry would be about. When you think of him as a comforter, a helper, an advocate, a counselor. But notice the word in front of helper. Another helper. Meaning they already had one. They already had a helper. Jesus is praying to the Father that he would send him another helper. And the word another literally means another of a like kind. Another of a like kind. This other helper will come alongside the disciples. And he will minister to them in the same way that Jesus did. He will help them. He will comfort them. He will protect them. He will provide for them. He will teach them. And he will guide them. And after Jesus ascends to the Father, the Holy Spirit will come and will be with them forever. Forever. Jesus was, was about to, to die, and when he is raised from the dead shortly thereafter, he was going to ascend to the Father. That's what he had been trying to tell his disciples. Where I am going, you can't come. You're not going to come and follow me to the cross yet. There'll come a time when you'll give your life for me. But I am going to the Father, and you have to remain. But I will not leave you as an orphan. I will come to you. And the Father will give you another helper. Now, Sandy and I love to travel. My wife and I, we love to go places, do things. Uh, last week, uh, we actually went up to, to, to Michigan. Um, uh, I may show you a couple pictures next week. But, um, but we went. I went and swam in Lake Michigan. That was, that was so cool. I was reliving my childhood last week. I mean, I was like, this is, oh, I remember doing it. I grew up in upstate New York, so we would swim in Lake Ontario. And, um, and I just used to love doing that. And my wife just could not get past the fact, she's walking out into the water and she's looking around, so what are you looking at? She said, I'm just thinking about sharks. I said, there are no sharks in Lake Michigan. There are no jellyfish or anything like that. But that's what we're used to being from South Carolina. So um, in any event, now why I bring that up is because because every time we go away, we have to make arrangements um, for our dog. Okay, we've got a little seven, eight pound Papillon. He's cute to look at. That's about it. Um, 
But anyway, every time we go away, we, we have to make sure that he, that he gets his food, that he's, you know, let out of the house so he can go to the bathroom, you know, and he's on a schedule. We, that's the one thing I'll say about him from very early on. He was very well potty trained, but you better let him out at the right time and stuff like that. So, so when we go away, we, we take pains to make sure that he's okay. And that's really what Jesus is doing here. For his disciples. He's getting ready to go away. And he is, he is wanting to take care of them, to make sure that they know that they will be taken care of, that they won't be left as orphans. In verse 16, we see it. We see him making provisions for them while he's gone. He's going to ask the Father to send another helper so that they will never be alone and so that they would have the help that they need in order to live for him in this world. But like I said before, the promise isn't just to the disciples. The promise is for us. Luke tells us in Acts chapter 2, verse 39, for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. So that would include us, wouldn't it? Jesus has not left us, left us as orphans. We have another helper. Now, this leads us to the next description that we have in our text about this helper. And what we find as we look at verse 17, that the helper is also known as the spirit of truth. The spirit of truth. Notice that Jesus says, whom the world cannot receive. Whom. The world cannot receive. Then he uses the third person pronoun, he and his, in the text. So what does that tell you? It tells us that the Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is a person. He's not some impersonal force like electricity. That's one erroneous view that people have, that people just view the Holy Spirit as, as kind of like the power of God. It's, it's like energy. It's like nuclear energy. It's the electricity of God. It's, you know. No, he is a person. He is the third person in the Trinity. And in Scripture... You, you, see, you see this clearly, but some of the places that you might not think about it revealing uh, him as a person, you will find in phrases um, like in the book of Acts where you find that it's possible to lie to the Holy Spirit. It's possible to grieve the Holy Spirit. You can blaspheme the Holy Spirit. Now, as I stand here, right, I can't lie to this podium. I mean, I could, but I'm going to look real stupid. <laughs> Why? Because it's not alive. It's, it's not a person. Folks, you can't even lie to your own dog. I know that probably upset some of you pet owners. Um, 
You can't lie to a dog or a cat. You can't lie to an animal. It's not a person. You can't lie to electricity. You're not going to grieve a power grid. You can only lie to another person. I don't suggest that you do that. But the point is, is that even in those phrases, it indicates that the Holy Spirit is a person who can be lied to, who can be grieved, and who can be blasphemed. He is the third person of the Trinity. In John 16, which we'll get to in a couple of weeks, Jesus said that when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will guide you. Now, Jesus told his disciples, hey, guys, you already know him. He's, he's been with you. He's, he's dwelt with you. How? In the person of Jesus Christ. But soon, he says, he will be in you. He would be in them Jesus dwelt with his disciples for three years. He cared for them. He loved them. He taught them. He provided for them. He protected them. But now he's about to leave and return to his father. And he says to them, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Now, there's a sense of permanence with that statement Because if Jesus were to leave again, right? Well, they're back in the same boat they were before. They'd be orphans. Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. They won't be orphans at all. Now, when Jesus says, I will come to you, it's it's unclear what he was referring to here. There are lots of... uh, Um, explanations as to what it might mean. I think the two best are either that Jesus was referring to his post-resurrection appearances or the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. And although verse 19 might be a reference to the former, I think the later explanation actually fits the context best, especially when you look at verse 28. Because in verse 28, we see, verse 28, we see that uh, Jesus says, you heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to my father. And so you have these two things of Jesus coming to them, but yet Jesus going to the father. So the helper will come and dwell in them after Jesus ascends to the Father. See, he hasn't left them as an orphan. He's given them another helper who will be with them forever, who will be with us forever. And then Scripture says that in that day, you will know that I am in my Father and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Now, in that day, 
in verse 20 could refer to the day that the disciples see the resurrected Christ, but it seems best to understand it as the day of Pentecost. Notice Jesus says, in that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. See, the language here speaks of our union with Christ made possible by the indwelling Spirit. You see that? Furthermore, Jesus goes on to say, he will manifest himself to all who love him. Not just the disciples, but to all who love him. So this leads us to another discovery about the Holy Spirit. And we see it, I think, clearly in verses 18 through 21. He is the Spirit of Christ. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus. Now, this is the first glimpse that we get in the New Testament of that glorious teaching of the Apostle Paul, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you. Now, there are other verses that that teach this. For instance, in Romans chapter 9, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the spirit who dwells in you. You see how he kind of goes back and forth, the spirit of Christ and the spirit who actually raised him from the dead. And then in Acts chapter 16, we read, and when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Philippians chapter one, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. And there's one I didn't put up there. It's out of Galatians chapter four. It says, and because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of Christ. Now, this doesn't mean that Jesus is the Holy Spirit or that the Holy Spirit is Jesus. Scripture teaches us that there is one God in three distinct persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They are co-equals in the Godhead. God is one in substance or one in essence, but three in person. And in case your head is spinning right now, that's okay because this is why we call it the mystery of the Trinity. Nobody fully understands or comprehends it. Lots of people have come up with some pretty neat illustrations, analogies to try to explain the Trinity to help people understand it, but at the end of the day, they all fall short. 
because it's a mystery. But what we see from Scripture is clearly that the Father is God, Jesus is God, and the Holy Spirit is God, yet there is one God. This is where faith comes in. Now, the Holy Spirit and Jesus are obviously closely related. They, they are God. They are a part of the Godhead. They, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit represents Jesus. He bears witness to Jesus. He glorifies Jesus. Consider these verses. I don't have them up on screen. But in John 15, which we'll get to shortly, Jesus said, when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth. Oh, did you notice that? Jesus says there, whom I send to you. Here in John 14, he says, the Father's going to say, I'm going to pray and ask the Father to send you the Spirit. In John 15, he says, I will send him to you. Interesting. Who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And then the next chapter over, chapter 16, Jesus says, he, the Holy Spirit, will glorify me. For he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Now this is important to understand because you would think by... by seeing some things that happen within some churches, that it's the Holy Spirit show. That the Holy Spirit is the one who's on display. The Holy Spirit is the one who's being glorified. When what the scripture says is that it is the job or the ministry of the Holy Spirit to glorify Christ. Meaning that the Holy Spirit does not draw attention to himself. He draws attention to Jesus. He wants the focus to be on Christ. He doesn't want to be the center of attention. He doesn't want the glory. His role is to bring glory to Christ. So this leads me to the fourth observation that I've made here in the text. And that is, is that the Holy Spirit is the abiding presence of the Trinity. Look with me at verse 22. Judas, and you just got to love how John does this, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Judas, who in this case is the son of James, did not understand what Jesus was saying. And so he asks him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Well, you have to understand that the Bible says that Jesus came unto his own. But his own did not receive him. They rejected him. They had the light. And Jesus said, while you have the light, walk in the light. But they refused to do that. And now they are in darkness. And Jesus is about to leave. 
And when he is resurrected from the dead, he does not show himself to the world. He doesn't go back to a public ministry, but he appears to those who belong to him so that they might be absolutely convinced that he was the son of God and that he lives forevermore. The next time the world would see him would be at the judgment. And it is our responsibility as believers to share the gospel with people while God gives us breath so that others might have the hope of becoming a part of the family of God as well. So that they would not have to face the judgment when Christ returns. Now note the last part of verse 23. Jesus says, And my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Now, we've already seen that the Holy Spirit indwells every believer. We've already said that the Spirit of Jesus is the Holy Spirit. But here, clearly, we see that the Father and the Son also make their home in the believer. Jesus says, we will come to him and make our home with him. In 2 Corinthians, we read, for we are the temple of God. And as God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Later in 1 John, we read, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. So the Spirit of God is the abiding presence of the Trinity in the believer's life. And, and by the way, I don't know if you know this, the word Trinity does not appear in the Bible. It was actually, it's believed to be first coined by a gentleman by the name of Tertullian. He was a Christian apologist near the end of the second century. And he was influential and instrumental in refuting a heresy that was prevalent during the time. It was called modalism. And modalists taught that there was one God, or I should say, they, they did not believe that there was one God who existed in three persons. They believed that there was one God who manifested himself as three different people. So sometimes he would show up as the Father, sometimes as the Son, sometimes as the Holy Spirit. Not three different persons, one, one God who manifested himself in a certain way. And uh, these were, were not different persons, but different manifestations of the same God. This view was condemned by the early church, very early. But um, as you know, you've heard it said before, you know, there, there's nothing new under the sun. This same heresy raises its ugly head every so often. It's prevalent even now within some of the cults. But it was refuted by the early church. So What's the point of all of this? Why are we talking about the Holy Spirit? Why is it so important for us to understand and believe that the Holy Spirit is the third member of the Trinity? That's a fair question. My response is, it's kind of like asking, why is it important that you know your husband or your wife? Why is it important that you know your parents? 
or your children, that you, that you know who they are? I mean, if you ask yourself that question, why is it important for me to know my wife? I think you could probably come up with a, lots of reasons why it's important. But let me give you, I think the simplest one is that you can't love someone you don't know. If we want to truly love God, we have to know him. We have to understand who he is, what he is like, what he desires, what pleases him. And so when we dive into theology, doctrine, it's so that we might love him more. It's so that we might trust him more. And it's so that we might be more like him. Don't, don't fall for the lie that this is irrelevant stuff. We don't need to go there. Just give, just give me something really practical for my life. This is practical. We, we, need to, we need to understand before we can do, right? As the third person in the Trinity, the Holy Spirit is to be worshiped and adored. We dare not be ignorant of him. We dare not ignore him. And we dare not elevate him over and above the Father and the Son. We must be careful not to grieve the Holy Spirit. Whether, rather, we are to yield to him and his, allow his sanctifying work to be done and accomplished in our life. We must respect and revere him as we do the Father and Son. And we've been talking about the helper, the spirit of Jesus, the spirit of truth as the Holy Spirit, but Jesus spells it out quite clearly in verse 26 here. Starting there in verse 25, we read, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So again, we see the Holy Spirit is referred to as a person. And he will take the truth of God's word as the spirit of truth, and he will give us understanding to that truth, and he will bring to our remembrance all the things that Jesus has said. Now, now, notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say that he will teach us new stuff, right? He will bring to our remembrance the things that Jesus has taught. Now, it, 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 it seems to me that to bring to our remembrance requires that we already know what Jesus has said. That we are knowledgeable of the word. That we've read it, that we've heard it, that we've meditated on it, that we have memorized it. If you don't do those things, the Holy Spirit can't bring to your remembrance something that's never been in your brain, that's never been in your heart. This is... To me, this is one of the most amazing things that I've experienced in my own personal life. And my D group can tell you about it because we talk about it all the time. You know, in, in, in our D group, we're, we're, we're striving to memorize scripture. 
But I keep telling the guys, fellas, I got to tell you, I had the situation that happened over here, or I had the situation over here, and God brought to my remembrance a passage of scripture. I'm sure I butchered it a little bit, but he brought to my mind a passage of scripture that I don't remember reading for years. But I read it, and I remembered it. And I don't think it's because I got such a great mind. I think it's because the Holy Spirit took what I had read, what I had studied, what I had learned, and he brought it to my remembrance so that I had an apt word at the right time. And that's, I mean, if, there, if that was the only reason to get you in the word, it ought to get you into the word. Aren't you glad Jesus didn't leave us as orphans? that he gave us another helper who would be with us forever. Now, we, we've discovered a great deal about his identity this morning, but let me leave you with a sampling of other names given to him in Scripture. This is just a sampling. He is also called the Spirit of Adoption, the Spirit of Glory, the Spirit of Grace, the Spirit of Holiness, Spirit of Judgment, the spirit of knowledge, the spirit of life, the spirit of understanding, the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of God, the spirit of the Father. You see, just in his names, his titles, his descriptors, we learn so much about him in his ministry. And in a few weeks, we're going to look more closely at the Spirit's role in our lives. As I conclude, it becomes very clear that Jesus is taking great pains to assure his disciples that they have no reason to be afraid. Not of the future, nor of ghosts, In addition to sending the Holy Spirit to be with them, he goes on to promise that they will always have his presence and his peace. Look with me at the final verses. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me. But I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. Peace with God and peace from God is only possible because Jesus went to the cross. Because Jesus went to war with sin, with death, with the devil himself, and he was victorious. If Jesus is alive and he has defeated these enemies, 
And if Jesus is living in you through his spirit, then you too have victory and can walk in victory. Satan has no power over him and he has no power over you. If you're here this morning and, and you don't know this Jesus who I'm talking about, um, today be a great day to start, to get to know him. Just admit to him what he already knows, that you're a sinner in need of a savior, that you are willing to surrender to his lordship in your life, that he will be your God and that you will follow him the rest of your life. For those of you that have already made that commitment, my challenge to you is demonstrate your love for him through your obedience. Not, not just in the big things, but the little things. Every place where his will comes into conflict with yours, choose his, obey him. I want to make one final observation just as a, a means of arming you. If you look at verse 28, um, the cults like to use verse 28 uh, to support their argument that Jesus wasn't God. So they will, they will point to it and they go, see, you see, Jesus said the Father is greater than I. So Jesus can't be God because the Father is God. And he says the Father is greater than I. Listen, Jesus is not speaking of their natures. He's speaking of their roles. Jesus was not denying his deity or his equality with God. Rather, he is acknowledging that he did not regard equality with God as something to be held on to. We see that in the book of Philippians. Rather, he humbled himself, took on a human nature and a human body so that he could go to the cross and die a death that we deserve to die that we deserve because of our sin. He was the perfect sacrifice so that we could be forgiven. It is in this sense that the Father is greater than he. Jesus concludes there in verse 31, rise, let us go from here. I don't know about you, but whenever we have people over to our house, you know, sometimes after the evening's over, everybody kind of, well, yeah, I guess we ought to be getting home by now, you know, and, and so they, they get up from where they're sitting, they go to the door, they might even put their shoes on, I might even open up the door, and how many times we end up standing there for another 30 minutes talking, right? So I don't know for sure um, if they left right away or if they lingered for a little bit, but what I do know is that they began their journey to the garden, and so next week, we're going to be picking up in chapters 15, 16, and 17 are going to be what has transpired from the end of their time here in the upper room until the time they get to the garden. And so don't miss next week as we begin making our way to the garden and then to the cross. Would you pray with me? Father God, Lord, I thank you again for this morning. And Holy Spirit, I thank you for revealing yourself to us this morning. Lord, just knowing who you are gives us so many reasons to love you and to want to serve you. And Lord, we yield ourselves to you 
and your lordship. And we ask that you would continue to teach us and to guide us and to bring to our remembrance the things that the Lord Jesus has said, the things that are recorded in both the Old Testament and the New Testament because, Lord Jesus, you are the word. You are the living word. And by your word, the heavens and the earth were created. And Lord, we just praise you. And as we close this service, Lord, we just yield ourselves to you, to your will, and your desires for our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.